0: Hello, and welcome to the Shmuel Tenenhouse podcast. My name is Shmuel Tenenhouse, and this is my podcast. So first of all, just a heads up that I will be taking a break from podcasting. So I'll continue doing my weekly podcast, which is sometimes bi-weekly, but I can no longer do the daily podcast. Uh, the Shmuel Tenenhouse daily podcast, which doesn't exist, was taking up a lot of time and space during my day, and I just, I want to revert back to what I've always been doing and not make any changes, so that's the disclaimer that I'm uh, putting out there. So, uh, first of all, just when I thought that nobody appreciates my podcast, a guy comes over to me at shul, it was kind of, he dashed, he was passing by me by the kiddish, running from getting a roll to sitting down at the table, and he told me, you know, I finally listened to one of your podcasts, and you have a great voice for double speed, now, that level of appreciation to somebody for somebody to tell me uh, really warms my heart, and it's actually be a, a great description for myself as a human being in terms of if I had to explain myself in an elevator pitch to somebody, I'd say, I'm shmuel, and I have a great voice for double speed, meaning just the way that I am right now is really about 50% capacity but if I talk faster to you, then maybe I'll be wholesome. Now, there's to- there's the the topic of hatred is on people's mind today, and I think people have a very heightened sense of being hated uh, today more than ever. And what I want to be open about is that we're n- no- none of us are immune to hatred. And when I say none of us, I'm like a mashpia talking at a forbringen, which means. I'm really talking about myself, but I'm pretending like I'm talking about everybody else so that nobody else feels uncomfortable. I'm saying that I'm just talking to myself, but I'm doing it here on my podcast, L'chaim. So here uh, I want to talk about something that I hate, and uh, it's not a very popular thing to hate, and I might get some flack or pushback from it, but uh, I just think in the spirit of transparency. We should be open with one another. So I, Shmuel Tenenhouse, of the Shmuel Tenenhouse podcast, I am anti-duvet. So, or you would call me an, an anti-duvetite, maybe. So duvet is a fancy blanket where it is a sheet where you will then insert like a very heavy feather blanket that has to go into another sheet covering. It can't be just a blanket unto itself. It needs the protection over it. Some of the reasons that I've written down here to share with you why I'm so anti-duvet, and I'm not saying I would go death con on it, but I I, I don't like it, is, uh, first of all, duvet has a silent T, and it's kind of a French word. So Right, right away then, when something has a silent T, I get automatically suspicious because I'm like, okay, you have a T, but now you're not pronouncing it. What other secrets are you hiding? The second thing is to get the divay assembled, it requires a team. You basically need your whole family, each person holding a corner, and you need to have a map because everybody has to go. And you have to shake it up and down like you know it's after Shabbos and you're getting the crumbs off the tablecloth. Anything that requires a team, just count me out. The third thing is it's made from feathers of sheep. And I could swear that I've used duvets in the past that at night when it's totally quiet at the house and the AC stops humming because you haven't paid last month's electric bill and they close in the middle of the night, you can actually hear bah, bah, coming from that duvet. It's very faint but you can hear it. And that freaks me out. Number four, it is way too hot in a duvet. And this is if you would put up duvet versus a blanket. And, and I don't know if this is common in your house that there's a, an argument between family members on team duvet or team blanket, but a duvet is way too hot. So I actually put uh, a little device called a thermometer in a duvet and it actually exploded after two hours. That's how hot it got in the duvet. What a duvet really is meant for is an Eskimo who sleeps outdoors in shorts. Then a duvet makes sense. Duvets get so warm under them that if you take two slices of bread and you sprinkle on some shredded cheese, you can actually make a full-on grilled cheese. The last reason why I detest and I abhor From the duvet is because what you're gonna do with all those lumps and bumps? Because it starts getting very lumpy, like you're making farina, and that doesn't bode well for me to go to sleep on a bumpy terrain, kind of like Yaakov putting the bumps or you know, the rocks around his head. Now, back in the day, Yaakov didn't need rocks, he could have just taken a duvet that had a bunch of bumps. And put that around his head. Okay, Now that I got that hatred out of my system, we're going to continue on and pretend that we never had this discussion. We want to talk about a new phenomenon that is going on in the from community and I'm very happy about it. And these are the 2.0 Chassan classes. So traditionally, there are uh, classes for ch- uh, chasanim. These are the grooms and you have classes for the brides and these are the kalas, they are separate classes, uh, because you can't mix the classes. That's the whole reason why you have a class, to understand what's going to happen when there's going to be all that mingling. Now I am happy that they are not replacing the old ones, but there is a new version that is dealing with a little more practical things, shall we say, that hasn't been addressed before. The first thing is uh, that they're going to be teaching. And uh, I'm just getting some of the information now, so I only have a couple of pieces. The first thing is, for the new chasen classes, the, they will teach you the skill of taking a chalent pot out of the, uh, what's it called, what a chalant thing goes into? Uh, Crockpot. So you have to be able to lift it up with gloves, hold onto it with one hand, then Stretch as far as you can to the counter, pull a spoon, and then with your other foot at this point, you have to make sort of a cartwheel to knock down a plate, and then with your eyebrow, grab onto a ladle and start ladling chullant into that. All the time, because you lost your gloves, you're doing this with your bare hands, and you got to do it very quickly because. Shabbos as an issue. That's the first thing. The second thing they're going to be teaching in the new chasson classes is they will teach you uh, the following thing. You sit down at a table and it's very nice and set very properly. Somebody will sit down across from you and then they will proceed to look you in the eye, smile, and criticize you for 45 minutes straight. And uh, as part of this practice, they will handcuff you and also blindfold you and also gag your mouth so you can't respond. And that is just a prerequisite to prepare somebody for marriage, what it's like, where you're literally blindsided, and the idea is you want to continue on with Sham bias. Now the third thing they're gonna be teaching in this new uh, 2.0 Hassan class is the following situation. They put you in a situation where it's Shabbos and your oven stops, starts beeping. They will teach you how to be a man, go out on the street, start flagging down very suspicious uh, Gentiles asking them, hey, are you Jewish or not Jewish? I am not a serial killer. You've never met me before. There's a thing beeping in my house. I need you to come in. Please turn the beeping off. My wife is really saying I need to turn the the beeping off. Uh, So that's that. Next thing, uh, while we're on the topic, I wanna share a story about a chassan. That chassan was me, Shmuel house. Now, there is a custom in the Jewish community to give watches to chasanim, to a chassan. Sometimes they give a, a, a shas, and they give different things, but when, you know, they give watches. I told my in-laws specifically, and my soon-to-be wife, who's my current wife, I said, I do not want a watch because one, I don't wear a watch, two, anything that costs more than $20, I don't want to put on my body, including a suit, a capota, a hat, 20 is the limit. So I said, I don't want a chasen watch. Now, it happened to be that at the time I was working for a watch company in New York. So my in-laws and my wife, as per usual, like my friend says, decide, okay, this is what the chasen wants, let's ignore his wishes, let's get him a chasen watch. So they get a and watch for me from the company that I was working at. Now, almost a year goes by. I have this nice chasen watch in my house that I never wear, that my wife actually co-opted and has since lost. But why should I mention that here? That will be for a couples therapy session. And the company is reviewing their inventory. One of the C-levels at the company is reviewing the inventory, and what they notice is that my in-laws did not pay for that watch yet. It was what we refer to as AR, like accounts receivable. So the genius comes over to me and says, hey, your in-laws never paid for that Hassan watch that you got. Can you speak to them about paying that? So this is the predicament that I find myself in. I have this chasen watch that my wife is wearing that I never wanted. The company that I work for wants to collect on that watch. They want me to do the collections from my in-laws for that watch. I ceremoniously told them in very kind words, even though they may have a different version, that I will not be doing the collections for the chasen watch that I do not watch, that I did never wanted. And that was the end of the story. Okay, so uh, again, I hate being a sellout to corporate America, but this podcast does run on the lucrative ads that I bring in here. And uh, I want to thank our sponsor for this week, uh, Disney. So here we go. Hey Jews, Yeshiva Week is coming up. We want you to come to Disney World or Disneyland, but probably Disney World because many more Jews come to Yeshiva Week to Florida than to California. The rides are old and rickety, but wholesome. The character costumes are fading, and some of them are so worn out that they are actually translucent, but that is us. We try to be as transparent as we can as a company. In your honor, we have raised the cost for tickets because we know how you Jews love to accumulate those miles on your credit card. The lines are long, but that is by design. Why? So you can get more quality family time. For an extra $75 per person, you can skip the line while getting dirty stares and glares from the less fortunate patrons. We have the same fireworks show from the 1960s It's actually the same guy doing it. He's now in a wheelchair and dialysis, so don't get freaked out by that urine bag that he's schlepping around with him. You can also download our app, so you can wait just as long, but at the same time, it's digital. So, visit the Podcast.com forward slash Disney, and we'll take $5 on your $1,000 ticket per family member. Okay, so now we're going to talk, we're moving, moving right along. I hate capitalism, but it's just, it's just what, makes, what makes this world go round, including <coughs> this money-making podcast. So uh, I want to talk about another FP, another From Perk, which will become obvious during this following story that happened to myself a couple weeks ago. So I was away with some family for a Shabbos, and it's an early-ending Shabbos, so of course the plan is order pizza because nobody's digestive system can handle it. Now, the thing is, I know that I have no self-control. And there was no way that I would ever be able to withstand the temptation of kosher pizza. And so what I did was, is while they were ordering And I I could just say they were very giddy while they were ordering, even though the pizza showed up hours and hours later because the restaurant wasn't equipped to handle all the online ordering. So they were giddy. What I did was I immediately scarfed down a bowl of chicken soup. Why? Because that is preemptive chicken soup. At this point, there is nothing holding me back from eating that pizza except now, kashras, because I'm going to be fleshics for six hours. So literally, I leveraged my religion and from to avoid getting sick from kosher pizza. Now, obviously, what I didn't do, but the best thing to do is, would be to take a selfie of myself, scarfing down that chicken soup. So when it comes time to pay and settle the bill, I can sit, tell everybody, look at this, I have a chicken soup selfie. Look at the time, eight o'clock, what time the pizza come? Nine o'clock. I didn't need any pizza. You guys have to pay for this so again this is something that only from people can do but if you're not from th- th- this perk is not available to you now when i was mentioning and demonstrating this tactic a brother-in-law of mine and i'm not going to give it away which brother-in-law but a brother-in-law of mine told me that sometimes he takes this a step further in the morning early in the morning he will actually fresh down a piece of schnitzel and that way for the whole day He cannot get near any dairy, which is also unhealthy for him. So just think about this potentially as a hack for all the people out there who love Milchicks, but it destroys them on the inside and on the outside because you're now breaking out with acne and your hair is falling out. And also you're limping because of all that dairy that you're schlepping. One thing to do is to carry with you at all times schnitzel bits. And if you see anybody coming close to you holding a milkshake and you feel you'll be tempted is just pop them in your mouth like a tic-tac and move right move right on now uh, this past Friday night I had the opportunity to attend a night kiddish uh, a night kiddish would be the same thing as a day kiddish only it's at night now the definition where I would define a kiddish is they're serving free food for me and my family but there's also no place cards so it's kind of casual sitting uh, seating so obviously for me the uh, survival instinct kicks in because I know there are lots of people milling around and pretending to be very polite, but everybody's eyeing the table and figuring out where they're going to sit. I just know, hey, I got to feed my family this free meal. We didn't make a meal at home. So I right away do a land grab. And the idea is I, I very overzealously mark our spot. So make sure to put a little grape juice in each of the cup try to put some food crumbs in front of us, lean the chairs over on the table, so nobody even has a hava mina, like we should say, that they should sit there, because again, X marks the spot. Now, I will say that we were invited there. Some people were there because they were friends, some people because they were family. We were there, I would say, 25% friendship, 75% because we're neighbors. But I, I could say that could be a sliding scale. We could move up that 25%, move down, the neighbor thing will still be neighbors, but again, I will take uh, I will take it. It was such a beautiful kiddush at night that I do confess that my initial instinct, because I went there before my wife did, was to actually tell my wife it was canceled, uh, so we would stay at home. The reason why we'd want to do that is because it was so beautiful, I was just concerned, and rightfully so, that my wife would be inspired by all the beauty and wanna make something equally as expensive, but I did not do that, I withheld, she saw what's going on, the secret's out of the, the bag, and we may be compelled to do a fancier kiddush, stay tuned for that. Now, one of the things we were discussing, and I wanna share it here on the podcast, and I feel like we can have a, like I said, we can be honest, and that is, what we were taught in yeshiva is, you wanna go astray, there's always an address for you back, Here in our institution, you want to get romantically involved with people who are not part of our religion. Okay, but we'll never forget about you. And at the end of the day, please stay in touch. But the one thing we will not allow, and we will immediately sever any contact. If you do so, is if you make Kiddush between six and seven. You can really do anything you want. You want to have a harem? Have a harem. But don't make kiddush with them between 6 and 7. Actually, if you really want to be serious, you wait until 7.15. And again, you can be out in the jungle, eating chazer trefes, and you want to wash that down between 6 and 7. We don't want to see no grape juice. I don't want no white wine. You wait until 7.15. And then you have your red wine Kiddush. Even if you're just, again, making a toast and and you change your name to Christopher, not between 6 and 7 or 7.15, please. I want to talk about uh, a very challenging conversation here. It's about a very new and extremely expensive kosher restaurant that opened here in South Florida. Now, There's actually a debate about what it's called. Uh, It's either called uh, Asiatico or Asiatico. And it's so expensive, they won't tell you and they won't confirm how to pronounce it. But when you go there to eat for an extra $150 on the menu, the chef will slip you a paper that will tell you what the correct pronunciation is. They swear you to secrecy. So only people have eaten there will know. They know you haven't eaten there. Everybody knows because I still don't know if it's Again, asiático, asiático. Uh, I will just say, if I ever end up eating there, I will make sure to sleep in the car for the night after we eat there because it's such an expensive restaurant that I don't feel it's justified that I should pay that much money to eat, like three, four hundred dollars a head. But if it includes lodging, which it will, in my car, at that point, you know. Perhaps I'll be able to say, hey, it's a meal, but it also, I slept in their parking lot. So all in all, I think I came out somewhat ahead. The biggest fear that I have is, uh, and that's actually the reason why, whenever possible, I try not to drive by this restaurant. I won't, forget about walking in there or looking it up on my phone because Google's tracking me there. The restaurant now is tracking me. I won't even drive. I I will take an alternate route, even if it takes me longer, but I won't drive past the restaurant. Why? Because there's a nightmare scenario that as I'm getting close to passing the restaurant, there's a massive fender bender in front of me. And there's a pileup of cars. And it's so severe that the Florida Highway Patrol comes and says, hey, listen, guys, we're not going to be able, traffic is at a standstill. We're crawling here. We're going to have to shut everything down as is. Everybody has to stay the night. Everybody go fan out to the restaurants nearby and uh, order yourself something. We're not going to pay for it. And maybe you'll have to deal with the insurance later. And I'll be right by Asiatico-Asiatico and I'll be forced for survival to actually go in and buy something off of that menu. And so again, that's one of the reasons why as a safety measure – I will not drive directly, even past the complex where it is. Okay, now I have a little uh, Shalom bias marriage hack. This is more for the wives uh, than it is for the husbands, and uh, I apologize, you know, in advance for sharing this with the wives, but it is very effective. So. These are terrifying words that I've heard from my wife on many occasions. And it's something that you have, if you haven't used it already in your home, uh, potentially you can attempt implementing it. And that is when you're asking your husband again and again to do some menial chore in the house because really all he does is take out the garbage every once in a while and think that he's saving the world by doing so words that will motivate him are like this. You say, if you're not going to clean the car, I'm going to have to hire somebody to do it. Those words, that sentence is very motivating and has actually compelled me to do a lot of things that I didn't necessarily think it was a priority. This past week, I cleaned out our minivan. Now, I didn't necessarily think it was very important to clean out a minivan. Yes, if you want to go in the minivan, uh, you do have to put on a hazmat suit just to make sure that you don't contract any infection. Uh, But I'm thinking, you know, right now, what are we in? Kislev? Pesach is around the corner. I mean, all you got is... Kislev, Tevish, Shvat, uh, I mean, Tuba is coming up, then Purim, is a lot of Shalach in the car. We're about to clean the car for Pesach, but my wife was insisting that we clean it. And so I said, hey, listen, I know you want me to clean it, but can you just give me a deadline? Things got hectic. I extended the deadline by, by three days, and then I ended up cleaning the car. But another hack that I did, and this is a hack for the men, is I had my children clean the car with me. And... Uh, the reason why it's a stickle hack is because for two reasons. Number one, a child labor is a lot less expensive than hiring a company to do it. I also participated so you can't say, oh, you're a child labor enforcer or something like that. Second of all, the kids made the, the mess themselves, so they ought to have to clean up th- from the mess that they literally made. The third thing is now is that my wife tried to leave something in the van a few days ago, and my daughter actually screamed at my wife and said, hey, you can't leave anything in the car because we just cleaned it. And so at this point now, the children have a different perspective because they're in the car that they made a mess in. Sometimes I feel really down by the fact and reality that there is no efficient way to clean a paratsitsis. You heard what I said, and I'm not going to back down. I'm going to double down on what I just said. There's a couple of ways you can attempt to clean tzitzis because i know some of you are howling now at your phones and saying absolutely not yes you could soak it in a shissel for nine weeks and then put it outside to hang dry for another 10 weeks but that's like a half a year process to clean a pair of tzitzis. also uh, people can walk by and knock over the tzitzis people could walk outside and choke to death on the tzitzes that are hanging. It's a moral hazard. There's another way to do it is you can put it on the washing machine, but that will completely destroy any, any tzitzes you ever thought you were ever going to wear again. The third thing is you can take it to your dry cleaner, and what's going to end up happening inevitably is it'll come back starched, so it'll feel like you're wearing armor, and then it will be completely yellow. And so for the entrepreneurs out there, I beseech you, figure out a proprietary way to clean CISIS. It'll become a unicorn company. In fact, maybe it'll be what I refer to as a CASAS, cleaning CISIS as a service. cassAS CASAS. Okay, so now... We want to talk about pressing matters. Want to share an irony with you. So, as you know, potentially from all twenty-five previous episodes of this podcast, is that I had the distinct honor and pleasure of growing up on shlichus. Now, this is not like shlichus the way it is in twenty twenty-two, where you just send out, uh, you know, GoFundMe campaigns and you walk around 770 raising money from your cell phone. You're getting digital donations. It's, it's not how it worked back then. You know, the, we, I grew up in shluchas on the 80s and the 90s. Now, to be in the shluchim's directory or to be in that photo book where they did for the shluchim, you really had to have, you know, the one requirement is you needed to have a piece of shit car. That was just the requirement to be a shliach. One of the requirements. Some Bala Bus donated a jalopy, hoping to get a tax write-off for $150,000 for his car that had, you know, 800,000 miles on it and only two tires left, and that became the family car. Now, if you guys think I'm being facetious, you can speak to colleagues or people that have been around for a long time. To get entrance into the Kinnos Shluchim today it's a big gala and a big affair. It's in New Jersey and Manhattan and people are flying with helicopters. To get entry back in the day, you needed to show them, A, a picture of your piece of shit car, preferably at a garage, so you can show, hey, look, the car is getting worked on right now. It's not even operable. Just let me in. The second thing you needed to have is a tie. Those two things and you were in. Now it's a lot more selective. People are everywhere. So uh, now, why is it that back in the day that was a requirement? Well, I think, you know, on a spiritual level, we can say for the one hand, it would really the idea of spreading, I wouldn't say light because there was lots of smog coming out of the car if the muffler was still attached, but it's more about publicizing miracles because my parents were driving around with these cars. It was an open miracle. You can tell somebody you don't believe in God. Look at this vehicle. It's still moving around. How how could how could you be an atheist? The second thing is, I think the car. What it really did for at least the passengers is that it really inspired prayer. Because if you were in it, you really were davening hard. That would make it would make it from point A to not even to point B, but even just out of, you just want to drive out of the lot, at least get it out of the lot. Uh, I remember fondly uh, being probably 10, 11 years old. And this was before cell phones, obviously. And uh, we were driving in our caravan and we were on a bridge and my mother was driving, which in its is a miracle and inspires prayer. But she was driving this vehicle and it just decided to just conk out, take a nap on top of the bridge. And we pulled over the side. I know that we were spared at some point in time because we're here today to talk about it. But I do remember Tilling being said, the 12th Sukkim, which again is another reason why I think back in the day, everybody needed to know the 12th sukkim by heart because for these type of situations to say some prayer on the fly. Now, we also had uh, a Cadillac, and I'm not the only shliach's child who I spoke to, but it was a Cadillac, and it had a beige. It was the size I think of a, a about a you know a, a large yacht, and it had a cloth roof or ceiling in the car, and with old age and hernias, the ceiling would droop down. So there's you know very little. It would start. Start drooping down, and then uh, the driver has no visibility. And the best part about it is it would also shed. So, what looks like from a distance, like dandruff, is no, it's just, what do you mean? It's not dandruff. Dude, I don't have hygiene issues. This is just my Schlingas car shedding some of the roof on me. Now, just leave me alone. So, we also had thumbtacks just to keep the ceiling in place. Now, a true story that happened, like everything else in this podcast, is uh, I have a great uncle visited town and he borrowed the vehicle, a vehicle, from my father. And when he came back, he told my father that with this vehicle, you need to drive around with a paper bag over your head and face, I guess, to spare yourself from the shame of driving the car around. Now, one thing I need to point out is that this great uncle survived World War II. And he, he came from Europe. It was not an easy time in Eastern Europe. He sat in an enemy camp prison for a couple of years. This gentleman has seen it all. But somehow, when he was driving my father's car around, it was a Shliak's car, he, he, you know, again, this was probably too much for him to handle relative to everything else that uh he had done so let me get let me get uh to the irony part our car one of our vehicles is in the shop it's been in the shop since august months and months have gone by and they gave me a loaner car uh, and i think it's actually a loser car but uh it's a loaner loser car and i'm driving it around to give you an idea of how bad of a vehicle this is I was driving this in our show parking lot the other day, and my father, who was a shliach and still is, and had lots of shluchim's cars over the years, my father tells me, what type of car are you driving? This is a shliach's car from 20, 30 years ago. Now it gets better. I gave my mother a lift in the car. It makes so much noise when you're driving that she was trying to talk to me, and I couldn't even hear what she was saying. So I'm not saying this car does not have any benefits. Yes, there are benefits. Now, in the beginning of the car ride, my mother said, listen, if you want, you live close by, you can borrow our car. By the time we reached her house, my mother was at this point pleading with me and saying, please, please drive my car. I'm worried for you and your self-esteem and for your future generations If you're driving around in that car so it's just amazing that 30 years have gone by and now instead of me being embarrassed with the vehicles that my parents are driving now my parents are ashamed of my car we're going places have a wonderful week and uh thank you to my cousin let's give him a shout out who recorded some video which i will share some way, somehow of this podcast. Speak to you all next week or maybe the week after. Just, just hang on there. Thank you.